Well, starting with open hearts is a great beginning, isn't it, to the practice. So it's lovely to be here with everyone in, in this virtual way. I think it's, it's uh, one of the silver linings in a way of, of this pandemic is that we can, that there's so much more availability online and that we can sit together from all over the place and you know, we don't have to actually physically get to the center. So I was, uh, the plan was that I was going to be in New York in person and of course that's not happening. So I'm actually in the office of Aloka Bahara Forest Monastery right now. And uh, because a lot of good work happens in here, it, it, it does have a good vibe. Uh, it's not a shrine room, it's not a, a library, it's the office. And I would like to speak mostly today from this beautiful book, The First Free Women. So this is a, a book that I've been involved in. Um, my friend, Matty Weingast, translated these poems from the Pali. And they are, originally they are um, poems of the enlightened nuns of the Buddha's time. And they've been passed down in the Pali language and translated many times over the years into English. And, and this translation is one like none other. It is quite extraordinary. And I was lucky enough to um, happen across it and, and meet Matty when he was about halfway through, you could say maybe halfway through the process. And I immediately loved these poems and felt these are very important and they need to be made available in their, you know, in their, in a, in their best form. They're not no, ever, perfectly edited. So I've been kind of acting as chief editor in a way of these poems for some, for maybe about a year or so until they were published. So I'm going to read, so we're going to sit for a while. I'd like to begin the sit with a little reading actually from one of these poems. And each poem is, a, is of a one enlightened nun. Mostly the, 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 the verses, like this, the awakening uh, utterances of, of an awakened nun. And, but this one is actually uh, teachings from students of an awakened nun. So Patachara is the nun and she was a famous teacher. She was renowned for her teaching and had big followings in that, in that time. She was an arahant, fully enlightened. And this is the, it's called Patachara's 30 Nuns. So this is just to lead us into the meditation. Farmers take grain from the earth and branches from the trees. They crack open one with the other and take what's left to feed their families. You are all like unripe grain. Take time to grow. Then leave the ground behind and let your husks be swept away. I promise, less is more. So Patachara told us. So we sat on the ground like unripe grain. We gave ourselves to the path and the path broke us apart. What we feared most is now seen for what it is. True peace, freedom. All that broke apart was the darkness we had for so long 
been calling our whole world. So this is the image of the seed. And in a way we all we are all like that. Seeds with with the amazing potential to awaken. And while we're in that seed pod, while with while the husks of the seed are still around us, it feels safe and it feels secure, it feels known. And then the path is asking us to to break that open and to and to and to grow in ways we don't even know how to do. So uh, all we have to do is one step at a time, one breath at a time, one moment at a time, one feeling at a time. So with that little introduction, I'd like us to sit, to find a posture that's stable, where your body's supported, not too squishy. The, coat, the couch is not always the best option, unless you've got a nice firm couch. And find a posture where you have a good foundation beneath you. You can have your feet on the ground or you can be sitting cross-legged or kneeling with a stool. These are all good. It's important to have a sense of support beneath you. Stability. Be aware of the of your spine, how you're sitting. So I just notice I'm leaning back against my chair, and that's not giving me the best posture for meditation. So just taking a moment to get it right and put it, you know, you might need an extra cushion, whatever it needs. So we can sit together for these 30 minutes or so. So being aware of your body sitting here. And being aware of the space above and around you. Just knowing that there's room for you to fully take this space. Being aware of your breath. If you want to take one or two deep breaths to begin with, you can do that. To fully connect. And then just let the breath move naturally in and out. You don't have to do the breathing. It's just about knowing, being present with, breathing in and breathing out.
Be aware if you're carrying any tension in your body or in your mind. And sweep through the body. And just invite it to relax. So relaxed and alert. And if you find as you sit that your mind is busy with problems or plans or worries or hopes or just random thoughts, put them to one side. You don't need to attend to them right now. Put them to one side and allow the mind to be open, to be attentive. To be interested in the very simple experience of this present moment. Silencing the mind and, and also the heart, opening your heart. Just letting any burdens that you might be carrying there, any sorrow, grief, worry, fear, just let it tumble out. It doesn't need to be held. Let it tumble out into the vast space of this, well, universe. With each in-breath, you're allowing the space to enter your being. The air into your lungs. And you can also have a sense of your heart opening up. And as you breathe out, just letting go of anything you don't need to hold on to. It's like recycling. You're just letting that energy go back into the universe. It gets used for good things.
So um, <clears throat> in a minute or so, we're going to have a break, a five minute break. And I'd just like to encourage you to stay mindful through whatever you're doing next. Uh, Buddha taught about uh, being mindful while eating, while drinking, while standing up, while sitting down, while urinating, while defecating. It's all there. He covers every detail. So uh, just not to not to just you know not to forget mindfulness, just because you're doing something a little different to sitting. Mm. Thank you. So just before we go into a break, I would invite you to uh, mindfully listen uh, for a moment. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I, my name is John Aaron. I'm, I'm hosting, helping to host tonight for New York Inside. I'm also one of the teachers at New York Inside. And tonight is also being co-hosted by Buddhist Insights. Um, which, uh, like New York Insight, is, is based in the earliest teachings of the Buddha. And Buddhist Insights, just give you some background on Buddhist Insights, it uh, welcomes persons of all races, sexual orientations, spiritualities, and life experiences to retreats and workshops and special events taught by nuns and monks of various Buddhist traditions. And I know that they recently opened a center in New Jersey called Empty Cloud in West Orange. Uh, and uh, uh, they're hosting daily meditations online. And New York Insight, of course, is based in Chelsea. And uh, like everyone else, we have a space to support, even though we have no ability to use the space right now. Um, and so these sittings on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights and Sundays, all the community sittings that we do, various sanghas that are available to people of all orientations are all supported on the basis of generosity. And what's uh, it's so wonderful to have a monastic present because that monastic tradition for 2,500 years has been supported on the basis of generosity. So Aya Nanda Bodhi is offering her teachings tonight on that basis and of and and it's our privilege to practice generosity to support both Aya's work and the work of New York Insight and the work of Buddhist Insights and this is done through the practice of generosity through the practice of dana and um, we would not survive without none of us would survive without the support of generosity the generosity of the people that's that attend our classes, the generosity of the people that attend our retreats, um, and all the volunteers that also support the organizations. So um, in a moment, Amit will uh, be posting the link to practice generosity, which is also a practice of mindfulness. Um, and I recognize, we fully recognize it in the current situations. The current situation with COVID, many of you are potentially unemployed and obviously have um, reduced income. Interestingly, in my experience of practicing generosity, I've often found that in those moments where I can afford at least, I find it a value to give the most because something comes back and I've, I'm not quite sure how that works. And I'm not encouraging anybody to give more than they're comfortable giving. 
but tonight's uh, dhana will be shared between New York Insight, Buddhist Insights, and the Aloka Vihara, the, the monastery that uh, Aya Ananda Bodhi helped uh, found. So I offer you that as a practice, and uh, the link will go up now <clears throat> in the chat box, as well as a link to the publisher of the book, and invite you to practice, and we will reconvene here at 7.55. Thank you. So I'm just lost. Okay. <clears throat> okay, are we ready? It's all yours. Thank you. So um, I always end up bookmarking quite a few poems and then it's a little bit uh, intuitive what actually gets spoken you know in the event itself and uh, you know, I'm aware of you know you're, you, many of you are in New York which has been very heavily hit by in the pandemic and uh, it's um, I think there's a combination of the of the, of the difficulty of, of loss you know seeing people maybe there are people that you know close to who've died and or who are working on the front lines and uh, and also the just like this thing if you are if you're not yourself working on the front lines this thing of being stuck at home with yourself for long periods of time that uh, if you're a retreat junkie might be quite nice but for many people this is a challenge so all kinds of doubts start to come up and, you know, maybe old, old habits of negative thinking or um, self-criticism or, you know, all of these things can happen when you're, you're kind of stuck with yourself for long periods of time. So uh, it's really important to, um, to know that that's what can happen and, and that these are the hindrances that the Buddha points out very clearly, the five hindrances of sensual desire, ill will, uh, sleepiness and dullness. You know, that can be another one, not wanting to get out of bed in the morning, not really seeing the point, you know. Um, restlessness and, and agitation, worrying about things, and doubt. So there's a lot of uncertainty at this time. It's, there's a lot of uncertainty all the time, actually. It's always uncertain, but uh, it appears to be more certain most of the time that it, that it appears now. And now it's like blatantly uncertain. So uh, it's just now, it, now it's normal not to be able to really know what your plans are gonna be, you know, in a few weeks time. Whereas, it, whereas you know, six months ago, that would have been seen as a little odd. So um, it's, it's in some ways where we're being faced with reality more clearly than we have, than we are usually. So uh, I think it's very important to take care of oneself, you know, to take care of your heart and not to get, not to get pulled down into those hindrances and to, uh, 
know them for what they are, and then to actively cultivate the, uh, the awakening factors. So the awakening factors are one of my favorite uh, teachings because they lead us to awakening. So I'm going to read this poem and it's the poem of the Bhikkhuni Genta and her name means conqueror. So this is about conquering the, the illusions, conquering Mara, conquering the defilements. And this is her enlightenment poem. <clears throat> I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me to walk this path, you will need seven friends. Mindfulness, curiosity, courage, joy, calm, stillness, and perspective. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together, sometimes wandering in circles, sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. It's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. Oh, my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. So I'm going to read that a second time. <clears throat> I was forever getting lost until one day the Buddha told me to walk this path, you will need seven friends. Mindfulness, curiosity, courage, joy, calm, stillness, and perspective. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together, sometimes wandering in circles, sometimes taking the long way around. There were days when I thought I couldn't go on. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. What if you don't make it? Oh, my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. So I think this is a very uh, significant and important poem. So it brings in those awakening factors. And uh, we're used to hearing them differently. So this is Matty has, he, uh, he, he translated these poems from the Pali. So he's proficient in Pali. And he wanted to find words that were really fitting for the Pali word, for these seven awakening factors. So mindfulness, we all know, sati. Curiosity, dhammavichaya is in the Pali. And that's often translated as um, investigation of dhammas or investigation of states. And then uh, cur um, so curiosity and then courage. I like that translation. Courage is virya. It's a translation of virya. And virya is usually means 
energy or a sustained effort like staying with something. So it's the courage to stay with it. So first of all, we bring mindfulness to what's going on. We move out of the kind of, you know, blur of being semi-present and we move into mindfulness and we're with what's going on now. It's always now. It's always this, whatever this is. And then we bring that sense of curiosity. Oh, what's going on now? So, you know, like with the breath, when, we, when we're mindful of the breath, it's like the most ordinary thing in the world. You know, it's, it's, it's always been there. It's going to be there all our life. It's going on whether we notice it or not. You know, very rare occasions we might be aware of it because something happens that makes it hard to breathe or we can't, we, you know, we have a shock or something. But generally it's just very, very ordinary. And then we bring it out, bring sati, bring mindfulness to the breath. And then it's like, oh, so what is going on there? So curiosity is that sense of interest and listening. So not, if there's just sati, just like knowing, 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 it's not enough. It's not gonna get you enlightened. Knowing is better than not knowing, it's important. But just knowing without that sense of, hmm, what's, what is that, what's happening? That extra quality, that, that, that's like the, the insight quality. So it gets us interested, gets us uh, curious, brings our attention more close to what we're experiencing. And then courage is the courage to stay with it. I love that, that translation. You know, usually it's energy or effort. Effort is, sounds tiring, but courage is like, hmm, okay, rise up, you know, okay, you can stay with this. That's what's, what is there to be learned? What is there to be understood from this that's happening now, this situation right now, this body, this mind, this life right now. And then joy, pity. So joy, is a, an awakening factor, a factor of enlightenment. And the Buddha so strongly emphasizes the importance of cultivating wholesome mind states. And it's so easy to just fall into negativity, a doubt, or, um, or just like a dullness, not wanting to be bothered. You know, there's many ways we can, we can just sort of like fall into negative mind states or criticism of others or resentment, fear, all of those things greed and uh, and then the buddha is saying most important cultivate wholesome mind states cultivate generosity cultivate patience cultivate compassion so so any of those situations that we might meet where the mind starts to spiral into the negative as it can do then we need to uh need to catch that and, and see what can i cultivate what's the flip side of this so, uh, you know, when we bring attention, sati, mindfulness, and uh, dhamma vijaya, curiosity, and virya, courage, to, what is, to our experience, even if it's difficult, even if our experience is really difficult, then a joy arises. So I can remember this, this sitting here in our library with a very, very deep sadness, just this, this really strong sense of grief, you know, welling up through me. And then... And then using those three qualities, bringing sati, awareness, 
be interested, oh, what's this? And what does it feel like? And how's it moving through me? And, uh, and then staying with it and staying with it and staying with it in that interested way. And then I started to find simultaneously a sense of joy. So there's this grief and at the same time, a sense of joy. And it's like the joy of the awakening factors because it's the joy of seeing things as they are, the joy of being aligned with reality. So uh, joy is like a result. So those first three we can, we can bring up, we can do those, so to speak. We can, we can bring them to mind, sati, mindfulness, curiosity and courage. And then joy is like a, what, what arises from that. And then calm. So knowing when it's time to calm the mind, settle the mind. If there's too much agitation, calming. And then stilling. So calm is pasadi, the Pali. And stilling is uh, Matty's translation for samadhi. Samadhi often translated as concentration. Concentration has a lot of doing and narrowing and efforting. Stillness, stilling, stilling the mind. So allowing the mind to settle and still when it's agitated. And then the perspective. So this is a translation of Upeka, which is usually translated as equanimity. I always think equanimity is a bit of a problematic word. For one thing, only Buddhists talk about it. It's not a word that's used generally in the world. And, and it gives us sort of impression that everything's kind of really flat. Everything's supposed to be flat and even, or even like distanced. Not, you know, I'm, I'm equanimous. It's got this sort of aloofness. Whereas perspective, is, is, this is a bit more of an accurate, I would say, translation of the Pali word, which is using the image of a, of a bird's eye view. So a bird flying over and looking down on everything. It's, it's part of, it's influenced. You know, if it's flying over a cliff, it'll be influenced by the, by the thermals there. So it's not separate from, but it's got a, got a perspective, got a big view. So these are our, these are our friends, you know? And then the gentle saying she was forever getting lost. And then one day the Buddha said, to walk this path, you need these seven friends. And so then she starts to spend time with those friends for years. I love that. For many years, these friends and I have traveled together. So she's fully enlightened now. now. And when you're fully enlightened, I would, I would imagine that these naturally arise. But until then, you know, we, we remember to take care of those friends that are, that are close by all the time. And then, you know, it does feel like that in the past. Sometimes we're wandering in circles. We feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm back here again. Didn't I learn this before? Didn't I get this insight before? You know, I'm back here again. So this is, uh, it seems like circles, but really it's like a spiral. You know, we, we, we start confused and then we, then we practice and we study and we start to understand the teachings and we have good friends and we change the way we live and things are going really well. And then we find that we're back here again with these difficulties we had before. How did that happen? And then, and then we might feel like, oh, it's just not going anywhere, but it, it's a spiral. So we're, we're back in that place we were before, but we're not in the same place because we're there 
having cultivated all of this, you know, wholesome qualities and, and letting go and good friends. And then, but then there are layers of karma, you could say, layers of stuff that we need to work through. And it doesn't necessarily fall away easily. So we might uh, get really excited for a while and think we're going to do really great, and we are doing really great. And then we come back to work on that again. So then we work on that for a while and we keep cultivating using these seven friends. And then, we, and then it's, things start to get better for a while and things get clearer and we understand more. And, and then we, things are going really well and uh, we feel like wonderful. So clear, the Buddha's teaching is so clear. It is so clear. And then our karma again, and it starts to get, you know, we start to have to work through those things, those obscurations. So to, to trust the, the path, you know, it's a spiral often for many people. It's not a nice neat line that goes from here to here. And then remember, appreciate the work that you've done. Appreciate the good friends that you have. Appreciate that you're part of this sangha right now even, you know. And uh, so nourish the, the good, nourish the, the good in you and nourish the good like the, the Dharma really in your life. And sometimes taking the long way around, you know, it's like it's inspiring when you meet people. I know one or two people who are just like, you know, they're, they're taking the direct route, you know, and I look at them and I think, oh my goodness, uh, I feel a little bit, oh, my practice isn't so good, you know, comparing. And then, well, you know, sometimes you have to take the long way around, sometimes it's like that. But as long as you're going in the right direction, that's what's important. So Bhikkhu Bodhi once said, there are only two things necessary for uh, realizing the path, for realizing the goal of awakening. First, you start on the path, you start practicing, and second, you don't stop until you're enlightened. So you just have to start and then not stop when all is well. And, it's, and it may, you know, sometimes it doesn't look the way you think it should look. Just keep going. And then she says, there were days when I thought I couldn't go on. Perhaps you've had days like that. There were days when I thought I was finally beaten. I've certainly had days like that. And then you find you get up again. There's something in you that just says, okay, rise up. There's more to be done. And then it's scary to give all of yourself to just one thing. To give all, yourself, all of yourself to this path of awakening. It's scary, but it's kind of uh, to not do it. Maybe it's even more scary. What if you don't make it? Oh my heart, you don't have to go it alone. Train yourself to train just a little more gently. So getting to know the places where you are too hard. So there's a, there's, a, there's a strength and a determination needed in the practice. You know, we need a certain discipline and a, and a rising up and a letting go. This is, this is vital. But just recognize that there may be places in your practice that are where, you're, where you're, the judge is too hard, where there's too much um, shooting and not enough appreciating. So appreciating is an important part of your path. 
appreciating the good that you are doing, appreciating the way you orient your life, appreciating the changes that you've made in the right direction, the things that you've let go of that were pulling you back. And then, you know, we're not arahants yet. Also just acknowledging that, you know, sometimes you can want to be further along the path than we are, and then you just say, well, I'm here right now. This is where I am. What do I need to do with this? And that's bringing it back in mindfulness again, bringing it back to what is happening here and now. So the, the training is uh, it's a steady training. You need that overarching goal of the practice. If you don't have a sense of wanting to give yourself to the practice, whatever way that may look, then, you know, we do a little bit, then we go and do something really stupid, and then we do a little bit more, and then we forget. And, and it's very, very slow, and we maybe kind of backtrack a lot. So it's important to have the overarching goal and to know the potential of a human life, everyone's life, and then keep training, but just a little more gently. Let's see who wants to speak next. Oh, yes. So this is the poem of Badra, Lucky, Bikuni Badra. You always considered yourself lucky because things seemed to work out the way you wanted. Now, luck has a different meaning. Lucky to be walking a path that finds peace in the arising and passing away of each present moment. Regardless of how things work out or don't. Lucky to be walking a path that finds peace in the arising and passing away of each present moment, regardless of how things work out or don't. So this is a very important message because uh, you know the, the world always tells us to try and line things up, get things to be the way we want you know, and then you might uh, have some times in your life when things go really well and it feels great, you feel really lucky. And then the Dharma is pointing to a much greater freedom than that. You don't have to be constantly trying to make the world line up to the way you think it should be for you. It's a very small view, but it's more like opening to things as they are, accepting life as it is. And that's not a doormat experience, but it's, a, it's an alignment with reality. So nobody wants a pandemic. It's, you know, it's a huge deal for the whole world. Maybe the earth itself having a little breather from us, but uh, the human beings here, nobody's like super elated there's a pandemic going on, but there is a pandemic going on. So taking issue with it, being upset about it is not helpful. And, uh, you know, it'll, it will have affected, each person's life is affected in a different way. And, and it's like this right now. 
So, and, and we don't know how it's going to be in the future. So there's that uncertainty. And that's part of how it is right now. So it's uh, an aligning with the reality of this ever-changing world, ever-changing experience. And then letting go into, into the not knowing. So Ajahn Chah, who's like my spiritual grandfather, he would, he would say, often say, my name is not certain. People would ask him, what about this? What about that? And he's like, mm, not certain, not certain. And, uh, and that's, that's aligned with reality. It's not certain. It's not certain if we're even gonna make it through the whole of this teaching. It's not certain if we'll have another breath. It's not certain if we'll, who knows what'll happen, if we'll get enlightened in this lifetime or future lifetimes. It's all uncertain. So just aligning with that, with that reality of uncertainty. So I'm just flicking through this book a moment. So I always mark them, and then there's always one that I wish I'd marked that I haven't marked. So it is. To read this other poem, <coughs> Upasamma, calm. <coughs> Excuse me. And this is a poem for, uh, in a way, it's a poem for the path, and it's also a poem for those really difficult times. And it has uh, the image of a river crossing a river. Upasamma, calm. How do you cross the flood? You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones. How do you cross the flood, my heart? You cross calmly, one step at a time, or not at all. So I'll read that again. How do you cross the flood? You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones. How do you cross the flood, my heart? You cross calmly, one step at a time, or not at all. So I think this is a very beautiful poem. And I always think this is the poem to keep in your back pocket, to pull out and read at those difficult times. How do I cross the flood? And then there's, you know, there's a, in the image, in the, in the sutras, there's the, the flood of samsara, obviously. The great flood of samsara, or the flood of sensuality, or the flood of anger, 
It's like the asanas, the, the, the outflows or the influxes, the floods. So it could be like, how do you cross the flood of samsara? Or do you, how do you cross the flood when strong desire is arising or strong anger is arising or strong confusion is arising? You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones. So in, you know, if, you, if you get caught up in the energy of the, of the hindrances, it's like you get swept away in the flood. But if you stay grounded, you know, if, you, if any of you have ever crossed a river, you'll know how it is. You know, you're, you're, you're walking across the river and you, you're trying to cross a you know, ford a river and, and the water's pushing against your legs. And you're having to very carefully take a step. So you think really carefully before lifting your foot because you might just get swept away. So you, you get yourself really grounded and then you very carefully lift your foot and you look for a stone that's not slippery and you put your foot down and you move your weight onto that foot and then you lift your next foot. And very carefully, very calmly, you walk across flood. And then just, you know, that one step at a time. I think that's also very important because we can get impatient with the practice. We can feel like we're not, maybe sometimes it feels like, oh, that's not really working, I'm not really you know, progressing. And, and they can feel like that when you're crossing a river. You might, you know, if it's a wide river, it's, it can take a very long time. And you might wonder, you know, am I even going to manage? And you just gradually, gradually, one step at a time, make your way across. That reminds me of a sutta, <coughs> which I think is in the Majjhima Nikaya, <coughs> about um, a, cow, a cow herd. And the cow herd is trying to uh, help these get these his cattle across the river, and um, <coughs> and there are there are bulls and heifers. I don't know if you're from Wales, so this is all normal to me. You might not know New York, so there's the, there's the bulls, and there's the heifers, the the uh, the cows the mothers, and then there's the, the bullocks, the young males, and then there's the, the heifers of the young females not who haven't yet had a calf. And then there's the little calves, and they're all there in the herd. And then the, the cow herd, he, he, he gets into a place where the, the river is as lo the lowest, but it's still, you know, still kind of fast, but he gets the, the, the best place he can cross. And then first of all, he sends across the bulls, the big ones, because they're always big, huge, the bulls, and, and they get across. And then that encourages the, the cows, the, the mothers, to get across. They're also bigger. So they, they, they're also encouraged to cross. And then the bullocks, they're a little bit young, a little bit smaller, they are encouraged to cross. And then the heifers, the young, younger female ones, which are not so strong, they also are, get across. And then there's the little calves. And the, the um, Similarly, is is describing the path path of awakening. So the bulls are uh, like like the arahants, fully enlightened ones. So don't get too upset about the gender here. This is it does actually kind of fit when you look at cows and stuff. But, so the bulls are the big ones, and uh, the arahants who are, who are, can easily the most easily get across that flood, that river, and then the 
the cows, they're like the anagamis, the, the non-returners, those who have freed their hearts from greed and hatred, but they're not fully enlightened yet. And they also get, also get across. <clears throat> and then the, the bullocks are like the once returners, those who are, have um, lessened greed and hatred, those who have, have um, who've realized stream entry at some point and then have lessened, attenuated greed and hatred. So they're on the, the second stage of awakening and they get across. And then the stream enters, the, the, the heifers, they get across because they're encouraged by the arahant and the anagami and the sakadagami and, and so on. And then the little calves, and then it says, and even the little calf just born that day, hears the, the call of its mother. The, the cow and even the little calf just born that day is able to get across the river safely because it's encouraged by the the others who've got across so this is very sweet and the and the and the, um, the little calf that's just born that day this is like the what the buddhist speaks about the the dhammanusaris and the saddhanusaris those who are uh, following the dhamma through um, <clears throat> following the path through and maybe more of an intellectual understanding, a, a clear understanding of the Dhamma. So those will be the, those who are more intellectually oriented to the Dhamma. And then the, the Sadhanusaris, those who are uh, following the Dhamma through faith. So often we have a bit of both. But there are some who lean more, I'm more of a faith-oriented. That was my way in, was through faith, not through intellectual understanding of the teachings and that came later the faith the faith is what got me in and then the understanding came later more in more um, and then for those who enter through intellectual understanding because it can because the buddhist teaching is so beautiful and, and so brilliant you know you read it and you're like wow you know and it seems so easy actually when if you understand it in that way and then you have, obviously then you have to actually practice it you have to have to cross that river and that's not as easy as it looks. Um, so for those who enter through faith, the uh, understanding deepens over time, and those who enter through Dhamma, the faith deepens over time. And they, they, they come together like this. And uh, so we're all, in a way, on that journey. Of, uh, we might be just at the edge of the river looking across, and, or we might have our feet wet, or we might feel the pressure of the water against our legs as we're trying to keep going and, or we might be nearly across I mean there's over a hundred of you watching this there could be some people there who've already crossed the river that would be a wonderful thing but wherever we are on the journey we just stay centered remember to be centered take one step at a time you know be discerning so it's not it's not cautious it's not you know, if, if you're too cautious then you stay too long and then you get swept away you know, you've got to keep keep moving keep practicing keep training take your good friends with you your seven friends and uh, you know gradually gradually we make our way across this flood of samsara and the, the beauty also of that teaching is that, uh, that you know, the cow herd is like, that he's, he's herding all the cows together, they're herd animals. 
I think we are also herd animals. We're not, so, you know, there's a few individual, a few people who like to go off and be alone, but generally, you know, we like to be with other people. So this is like Sangha, you know, it's our Sangha. We, 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 we draw on the strengths of each other. And some have, you know, some, we'll, we all have different qualities, different strengths that we can, we can draw on and we can offer to each other. So I hope there's something useful in uh, what I've offered tonight. And I'd like to open up the, we call it the uh, screen, I suppose, not the room, for questions. Could so always a question. Thank you so much, Aya. So what we're gonna do with the questions is gonna ask you to <clears throat> raise your hand, which you have to do in the participant screen. So you have to click on participants, which is at the bottom of your screen, if you haven't figured that out already. And at the very bottom of the participant uh, screen is an opportunity to raise your hand. So you will raise your hand and then we will un I will call you and we will unmute you. And uh, you'll put your voice in the space and ask your question or make your reflection and comment and go from there. So anybody who would like to raise their hand, now is the chance to do that. So Lily Mayer raised her hand. Raised their oh, hand. I, I don't see it raised here. That's so interesting. Oh, interesting. Um, so what do I do? Can I just... Oh, I think, un what's the name? You can unmute her, yeah, if you see her. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming to be with us tonight. I so touched by this book. I had the chance to meet Maddie, and I love these poems, this translation. And I was actually going to be on retreat with you last week up in Massachusetts for this. So, so glad to be with you tonight. I think it was really cool that you brought up um, Arahants, and I don't, I don't know if this is a, a naive question, but it seems like there were so many. 2,500 years ago, are there um, just as many wandering around today? Are the conditions of the world so different that there aren't as many, or we just don't hear about them as much? That's just, that's my question. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's always hard to know because um, they say it takes one to know one. So uh, there are people who claim to be enlightened and who may or may not be. And, and there are people, so as monastics, we're actually not supposed to tell people what our level of attainment is. It's one of the rules we have is to not speak about it. So there are people who seem to be, or who are believed to be fully enlightened mm. and uh, they're not going to verify that further. Oh, so it's a little bit, yeah. It's a little bit mysterious. So um, I definitely know of people who are highly realized, yes. But whether they're in Arahant or not, I couldn't tell you. And in, compared to the Buddha's time, it is very different. So they say, you know, like for the, with the conditions for a Buddha to arise in the world, for one thing, people were seeing and meeting and witnessing a Buddha. And that is profound. So I, I often speak about um, when I met Verma Mahagosananda, who was not a Buddha, but he was a um, very highly realized being. He was probably um, either a heifer or a bull in that little story. And uh, not a heifer, a cow or a bull. So either, either an anagami or, or an arahant. 
definitely very different to anyone else I'd ever met, apart from perhaps the Dalai Lama. The, the, those, those two people really stood out as extraordinarily different to anyone else I'd ever met. And um, when I met him, just being in his presence, I met him three times, being in his presence woke things up in me it, on a prof in a profound way that didn't happen when I was with other people reading the suttas or meditating. So I would think that actually being in the presence of a Buddha would, would kind of ripen your good mm -hmm. karma quite a well. lot. Yeah. So I think that would be part of it. And, you know, karmically it could be that, you know, they say that people make these uh, determinations like may I be reborn uh, in the presence of the next Buddha. Mm -hmm. And there may have been many people who made that int intention and then in that last, in that life, there they all were. And also in India, there are many people, you know, there are many people who practice, so there's a lot of practitioners. So there is, there is even though the, the, the Buddha's teaching, the Dhamma wasn't yet, the wheel of Dhamma hadn't started turning until the Buddha started teaching and, and the Kondanya realized stream entry, that was the beginning of the turning of the wheel of Dhamma, which is still turning today, beautifully, after all these you know, 2,600 years. But there were a lot of people practicing, so doing ascetic practices or meditation practices. There were a lot of practitioners actually, but they weren't. They didn't have that extra insight into not self. So there are many people who'd who'd really like refined their minds and, and and their lives. And then when they saw the word or heard the teaching, it just took that little tip. Whereas these days, you know, it's, you know the world we live in, America, you know, it's consumerism and capitalism and yeah it's, it's not oriented in that we're not oriented in that way but if enough people made the determination to live in the time of a buddha maybe we could change the world again i mean that is one way but you know i, I think it's better to to practice and to aim for stream entry actually aim for stream entry now that's uh, that's uh, then you're on your way out and then you'll help other people because who knows when the next buddha arises the buddha, a buddha will only arise when the Dharma has been completely lost. So do you really want to hang around that? Wow, I don't know that either. <laughs> I'm so touched that these enlightened women um, left words for us. So thank, thank you, you very, very much. Thank you. So Jill has a, her hand up, so I'm gonna unmute Jill. Go ahead, Jill. Hi, thank you. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts about it. I loved Maddie's interpretations of the Pali. Um, but when I look up some of these words in the Pali English dictionary, I don't see stilling or courage, you know, for virya. And I just wonder about the danger of <clears throat> the Pali, you know, getting loosened or, or you know our spin our language interpretations put on the poly and the whole mindfulness movement and how the poly is losing some of its uh power for want of a better word yeah I mean, I think it loses its power as long as there are people, you know, as long as, there are, as long as we take an English word and take that to be the real translation, then it's lost its power. Because the Pali, you know, we, we're trying to translate a word 
that's from a, a different culture and a different time and a, and, a, and a practice word also into English, which is not a Dharma language, it's not a practice language. Right. So in, in um, so like in Sri Lanka, in, in um, Sinhala and in Thai, Dharma is woven into the, to, to the ordinary daily, daily language. So it's much easier actually to translate in, into those languages. But in English, it's not, there's, there's, you know, in the, in the creation of the language of English, there was no Dharma, you know, there's, there's, there's some things that you can align to. But I think it's actually very important to, you know, somebody like Matty, who he is proficient in Pali, actually, and he, and he took real care. And we talked through some, particularly the last one, Upeka, we talked through that of like, you know, is that, would that fit? And is that appropriate? And um, so a lot of care was taken, actually, in those translations. And uh, from the original Pali, and not just from an English translation of the Pali, so I think it's actually more beneficial to have these different translations. So like stilling, for example, you know, we, Samadhi first got this translation concentration. And I think that word, that translation has given, been more trouble than help. It's, right. it's not really an accurate. And then other people say it's um, collectedness of mind or stilling. Actually, I think Ajahn Brahm says to still, stilling. I think that's a word that a translation that he uses. Mm. So it's it's also one practices, you know, and Matty has both practice and the Pali. So one practices and then you see what is it? Okay, this is Samadhi. What what word, what English word would I find for that? What would I put on that? And then it's like, okay, stealing, yeah, that feels right. And it's not and it's also many of these words in Pali, they don't have just one translation. It's not as simple as that. Yeah. There might be a, a a few that will that will feel like aha, uh -huh, you know, that point to the actual experience. So I would say it's the opposite. You know, having these different translations, it makes people go, oh, hang on a minute. I always thought it was exciting, and, and then so what does it mean actually? I also have a friend uh, in in England who's a Sanskrit scholar, and, and she was she was also giving me translations of Upeka in Sanskrit, and she, and she she had this image of of the bird flying and looking down. So it has like perspective and uh, a certain, a slight distance. So that's, that's in the word. So I think it's great to have different translations and then to explore them. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, uh, Aaron has a question. Yeah, Analia translates Upeka as equipose, I think, right? Equipoise, yeah. Another... You know, these are these are words like who uses words like that? This is the trouble, you know. Only Buddhists. <laughs> true. Good point. Equipoise. I mean, nobody ever speaks about things like yeah, that. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, Aaron, I'm going to unmute you. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Thank you so much for the beautiful poems. Um, I'm curious, you know, reading some of the Buddhist teachings and also um, even in what you shared, the male view of um, enlightenment, perhaps, if that shows up. And I haven't read the book of poems, but I'd be curious to know if you see a different view of the path or a different way to even approach it that is more grounded in maybe female energy. Do you mean in the, in the poems or, or in my practice or what? I guess both. <laughs> I mean, in the poems, I see very much, you know, because it's, 
and, and you know there are also enlightenment poems of the, of the awakened monks also they've also been passed down and but they're more sort of pragmatic and and what's beautiful about the these poems is that you get to feel a bit about you get to know a little bit of the life of the woman who becomes enlightened and what i found really a uh, very inspiring and uh, helpful actually and encouraging is there are all sorts of women here there's all sorts you know there's like really smart women who just like get it really quickly and have you know come from good families and then there's there's like princesses who've who've like had everything laid on and, and then leave it behind and there's prostitutes and beggars and old people and young people you know somebody one of them is is like so desperate she goes to hang herself from a tree because she just feels like it's just impossible and then she's been practicing all these years and not a moment of concentration and, and then as the moment then the rope touches her neck she becomes enlightened don't try this at home <laughs> she becomes enlightened you know and and so and you just get the sense of like because sometimes in the suttas it's like do this do this do this and then you'll become an arahant you know do this, do this, do this, and you become a stream entry. And then these poems, they they are more um, human, really. So they're, they're saying it's messy sometimes, you know. You, sometimes you can go for a long time without really feeling like you're getting any fruits. And, and uh, sometimes you have to work really, really hard for a long time. Like Damadina, I love that poem. She's, uh, she's um, she, the image is like she's paddling down a, a river and trying to get to the end, trying to get to the end, trying to get to the depths of the ocean. And then one day she just, one morning she stops and she puts her paddle down and she watches the sun rise over the eastern hills. And then she finds herself floating upstream. So she suddenly realizes she suddenly becomes enlightened. And then she's like, oh, I didn't, I, I promised it was not what I had expected. So this is, these kind of beautiful uh, images where uh, I think in the masculine approach, often it can be presented as, you know, a bit more linear. You know, you do this, you do this, and you get this result. And and in these, it's more messy. And I really like that because life's messy. So uh, and and I love that it's that it's um, that's such a mix of, of people from all different walks of life. You know, and they all become arahants. So I feel like that opens the door for all of us. Yeah. I have a question about. Just while we're waiting for others, um, just the last line of the flood poem. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which you didn't actually address, and I'm wondering what. Well, not at all. Yeah. Well, if you get swept away, <clears throat> you don't cross, do you? If you get swept away, yeah, or you just sort of. Yeah. You cross calmly one step at a time or not at all. So if you don't keep that centeredness and that steadiness, steadiness, then you get swept away. You don't cross, you just get swept away into the river. So, and now I'm also, just to say, I was just talking about Damadina. She's using the image of a river going to the ocean, which was more like the practice leading to enlightenment. And then this is more like, because they're both river images, but they're just used right. differently. This is more like the river, the flood of, of samsara. Yeah. So, so, you know, but then, then you get swept away and then you grab hold of a rock somewhere and you pull right. yourself out. Right. And then you start. You or, you, too. or you choose not to cross just that at that moment, you know, which is like, I'm just, I'm not there yet or I'm not ready or I'm not. Yeah. Get but stronger. I like the idea of grabbing something on the way. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. 
Uh, Kathy, you're unmuted. We're trying to unmute you. There you go. Am I unmuted? Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm curious about the notion of fruits. Um, it seems like it seems like much of the practice is actually, and maybe it's just in the tradition I'm from, that it's not about merit or goal. And so I'm curious, how do you balance? I mean, I don't. When I think about my practice, I don't think about getting anywhere, or or obtaining anything like that. So I'm I'm curious. But at the same time, I'm not really sure then what motivates me to keep coming back, but I just keep coming back. But um, talk a little bit about fruits and no merit, and I, um, I'm, I'm struggling with your concept of fruits, I guess. Okay, well, it's the Buddhist concept, actually. I'm just relaying stuff from the suttas. Um, so, you know, what I can say is when I first started to practice, I didn't want to hear about those things. I didn't want, I was in the monastery, you know, and I, and I don't talk to me about, I don't want to know about stream entry, I don't want to hear about jhanas, I don't want, don't tell me about any of that stuff. Because I knew that if I knew about it, my mind would start grasping. And then if, when the mind starts grasping, you're going in the opposite direction to where you want to go. So there can be a skillful means, actually, in not having those, those um, goals, if you want to call it that, I don't know, for want of a better word, or those, those, um, markers they, it can be skillful to not have them in mind and I definitely didn't want them for quite quite some time um, and then and that allowed the freedom for this practice just to throw itself in to whatever was going on and to experience the fruits of that naturally without some idea of trying to get something so it may be the right way and, and also actually for this for the Saddam Yassaris for the, the, the faith oriented people it can be very good to not, it can, it can go both ways actually, but it can be very good to not have those markers, you know, and, and then you're just, you're just giving yourself to the practice. So uh, it's, it's, um, it's just a way of seeing things. And, and the, you know, the Buddha speaks about these four stages or eight stages. Whatever. And, um, and they are, I think it's good to know that it is possible. It is good to know that it is possible to to uh, realize full awakening, and and that the actual the, 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 when the, the, he lists those four, and then for each one there are certain what he calls fetters, certain certain things that hold us back that are cut. So in the first one, there are there are three fetters that are cut, and once they're cut, they're they're done, and then and, and it's the fruit of the practice. And that is, then that gets the name stream entry. It's just a name for, for, for a, a, a place on the path where there's a certain, certain delusions have been cut through and then there's other stuff that's still playing out. And then the second level is still, you know, there's nothing actually cut through, actually it's just, it's just been lessened. And then the third stage, greed and hatred are cut through. There's no, no longer a rise. And that's, profound you know and that's the potential of a human being so and i've met people who have realized that and it's very very powerful when you see those people it's very very inspiring and, and powerful uh, so it's good to know that that is possible and then the arahant is one who's free from any kind of delusion any kind of restlessness any kind of 
anything that's going to cause a problem and that's freedom so it's good it's beautiful to know that that's possible and but then i think the way we think you know we think in terms of being somebody going somewhere yeah so there's me who are you know how i am now and then the story about where i am now and how i am now and which might be good or might be not good and, and then and then there's the oh so i want to get stream entry so i'm going to try and become a stream entry so that's like in a way totally the wrong way around because then you're trying to become something and all of those layers levels of awakening are the the, the person who's realized them has let go of something they haven't got anything extra there's nothing extra gained there's no goal that one has attained it's, you've let go of some delusion and then you let go of another level layer of delusion and then you let go of all delusion and then you're free so to think of it that way is probably more useful thank you so much hmm. Hmm. so we have another minute or two if anybody has any remaining questions or And it could be that people are nervous to put their voice in the space, so you can also. I used to be so terribly shy, and I have to yeah. often speak in front of people. Please. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's I don't th I don't think you can call it uh, public speaking when it's like this, right? Because you know you're just talking to your computer, but yet here we are. But you know, and also I just want to say we talk about these lofty things. If you've got something about just about your practice. Yeah, ah, yeah you. we have Aditi. Aditi, thank you. So we just gotta, there you go. Hi. Could I Hi. Go ahead and ask. A uh, you have to speak up, Aditi. Hello, yes, can you hear me? It's very Hi. low, so yep. speak. It's very low. Hmm. This problem once that's before. better. Um, so I have a question that's um, pretty basic. It's those mm. levels, um, and you might have mentioned it in this last response, but I got distracted. Um, I don't think I'd ever heard of those levels before, and I found that very fascinating. So there's Arahant, but then Aragami, Anagami? Anagami, Anagami means, Anagami means non-returner, one who doesn't return back to this sense realm. And then uh, Sakadagami, one who returns to this realm to the in human life one more time. And then there's Sotapanna, which is a stream entry, which is one who's seen the Dhamma clearly for what it is. And um, for, for a very, very short time has, has basically seen with the eyes of an enlightened being, and then, but then still has karma to work out. Still work to do. And then there's the, then the, then those are like those four four cattle, and then there's the little calves, who are just looking in and making steps. It's like most people. Thank you. Oh, can't hear you. Why is she not? So she's muted. Unmute Aditi. Ah. Unmute. Okay. Thank you. I accidentally muted myself. I think that was. Think uh, that was um, so, <laughs> four, uh, four levels, it sounds, well, four or five, I guess. 
there are four levels there are four levels of awakening they're usually called four they're called um the, they're sometimes divided into eight but two different aspects but they're basically four stages and then there's those and then there's the the two kind of leading into them so they're, they're called faith followers and dhamma followers that are not haven't yet had that breakthrough but then going in that direction yeah and i i liked um i think you mentioned when you were speaking earlier uh i like this description you had of um how is it that like that like at one of the levels it's you know you're not all the way there but you're starting to let go of greed and hatred and then the next level is you're not enlightened yet but you are you have fully let go of greed and hatred or something like that is that okay and if you have are there any references you would recommend for learning more about these uh, reading about that I mean, I, I get them from the suttas, actually. I have it from the suttas, so I don't know. They probably, I'm sure people have written about those things, but I actually don't, I'm not a great reader of, of uh, digested books. I, I tend to go straight to the suttas or something particular that interests me. Yeah. So I can't give you a reference, but somebody else might be able to. But throughout the suttas, the Buddha speaks about it again. And again. So... We are getting to the end of our time together, and uh, I will I will give you the closing uh, word, Aya. But before that, just a couple of last-minute announcements. Um, just a, an upcoming event for New York Insight is actually this Sunday with Tina Sharp, um, who will be doing a sitting on Sunday, I think, at at ten o'clock. Um, continuing her talks on fierce love, fierce change in the time of COVID, COVID-19 that is. Um, and just a reminder to, for other events for Buddhist Insights, visit their website and for other events at New York Insight, visit our website, New York uh, Insights website. And a reminder about Donna and Amit will put the uh, link back up uh, on the chat. Um, and, uh, I think that's all that's I need to say at this point, except deep bows of gratitude and how lovely it is to see you. And we look forward to a future return in three dimensions. Um, okay. Yes, I'd love to get back to New York. Let's. Uh, yeah, we. You know, we need to finish the tour. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I will leave you to to close out our evening and. I will ring the bell on this end since uh, I think it'll make it just about. So I'd like to uh, end with, I'd just like to encourage everyone to, to, to just look into your heart and mind and appreciate your own practice. So what uh, your practice this evening, practice today, you practice through your life. Even before you knew the word practice in this context, you probably had a bit of a practice going in some way, shape or form. And uh, appreciate your orientation to the Dhamma and that you're, you're taking a step in the right direction and then another step and another step. So just to connect with that in your own heart.
So this is, uh, this is merit. This is, uh, so we talk about the punya, it's a Pali word. It's like a good quality, the, the energy that, that grows in, the, in one's being. And uh, this supports us in our path to awakening. So part of that is uh, by not harming others, by, by living ethically, we, we uh, avoid making unwholesome karma. And then the active good that we do, which can be in many, many different ways. It's, uh, you know, this is making good karma, and this is a support for our awakening. And then there's uh, letting go, the moments where the mind lets go, and there's peacefulness. This is like uh, the ending of karma. And it's not always, uh, I say there's peacefulness, but it's sometimes the mind lets go in the midst of turmoil. And you're okay with things as they are, even in the midst of turmoil. And this is the karma that leads to the ending of karma. So this is being present with allowing the process to unfold. So I'd just like you to bring to mind that any of those aspects that you are living. And just let your heart uh, rejoice, modity. Let your heart rejoice in that goodness. Let your heart be filled with the, the goodness of your practice. But your practice doesn't have to be perfect in order to appreciate it. I'd like to invite you to share the, any merits that you may have developed in your life for the benefit of all beings in all realms. May all beings in all realms receive the support and blessings of your practice. May all beings in all realms realize their true nature and be liberated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.